Welcome back to the 35th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including how the progressives have grown really close with Joe Biden, how to unseat Joe Biden in a primary in 2024, and how the Republicans have made gains in the Muslim community all across America. And of course, today we will end with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. But that's enough rambling for me. Let's get into our daily debate. Will the Democrats keep Joe Biden as president? And if not, who will replace him? And obviously, if he wants to run, it's going to be very hard to unseat him. But remember, a president, though he is the leader of the party, there are lots of mechanisms behind the scenes that really guide the future of the party. And he may be persuaded not to run if they think they have a better option. So, I mean, who is going to take over is the question in that case. And I actually did a podcast about it a month ago. But the, the ground has really shifted since then. and The conversation has evolved. So who do you think has the best chance to unseat Joe Biden as president going into 2024? And we'll return to that one in our second article. But our first article comes from The Daily Beast. With minority House life looming, House progressives turn to Joe Biden. So the Republicans are obviously coming in with a very small, very slim majority control in the House. And most progressives are, you know, kind of reassessing their agenda and they're looking and they're saying, wow, this is probably dead in the water. Quote, for four years, progressives have seen their influence grow dramatically. As presidential progressive caucus grew larger, they became a force on policy decisions. New stars emerging with large followings and becoming vocal critics of the establishment left's policy prescriptions. They'd cultivated a relationship with the White House, namely Chief of Staff Ron Klein, who accelerated their positions, end quote. So the next two years of this relationship could serve them very, very well, especially given the fact that Biden sees the bucking of the historical trends This idea that whenever the controlling party goes into the midterms, they're supposed to lose massively, lose control, maybe both houses of Congress, the the Senate and the House. But instead, they only lost one chamber this time. They just lost the House. So a lot of Democrats, including Biden, are seeing this as a bucking of trends. And he even came out and said, this is actually an endorsement of the policies that we've been putting forward throughout his tenure as president. So... With this kind of mentality, he may be even more willing to put through executive orders that are more progressive in nature, which would be a win for the progressives. And if he's looking forward and he thinks his party wants to get rid of him in 2024 or that he doesn't have a chance of winning, which if Trump is the nominee on the other side, I'm pretty sure he's going to think he can win and he might moderate a little bit to get those moderate voters But if DeSantis is the candidate, I think he might be more willing to appeal to the progressive base because he wants them to be more active against a lot of DeSantis' culture war aspects. So, you know, with this idea that 
the people are backing my agenda as president, he could be more willing to stick to some of the more progressive policies that he's been trying to enact. He may push harder on debt forgiveness. He may, you know, find a way to get it through Congress if possible. I highly doubt it, but he'll probably find a different way to have an executive order that does the same thing because this first one got struck down in a Texas court. So the progressive wing does not intend to sit on their hands and wait around is what I'm getting at. Quote, we're going to have progressive House members leading the push on the administration to use executive action, regulatory authority, and its appointment powers as in a as progressive a manner as possible. End quote, said Joseph Givernes. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, Mr. Givernese. I have no idea. He is the executive director of the progressive group Our Revolution, spun out of Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential bid. So this is a a very interesting approach, in my opinion, considering that most of Biden's executive actions have been struck down in the courts. I mean, if you look back at the OSHA vax mandate, where he was trying to get OSHA, a federal agency, to force employers to have their employees vaccinated, or like I mentioned a minute ago, the student debt cancellation plan. Both of these were executive actions that were struck down in court. So if you look at Joe Biden's track record, or at least the White House's track record on these issues when it comes to enacting executive action, then you know, he doesn't have a great track record. It doesn't normally hold up in the courts. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's his fault. It could just be that these policies can't be enacted through executive action. <clears throat> yeah, that's the case. Oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to cough there. But what I do think their approach, when they're showing their hand here and they're saying we can get appointees in the judicial branch that are more progressive, I think that's a valid approach. I think that that's the way that they're really going to push, especially if they think that Joe Biden's going to be out by 2024. They're going to do a hard push for putting more federally appointed judges, more progressive judges, into some of these uh, bench seats. Just like Trump did on his way out. He signed so many uh, or tried to appoint so many different federal judges on his way out and throughout his tenure in order to lock up the the judicial system for the Republicans. And I hate, I, the reason I hesitated there is I really hate saying lock up the judicial system for either side because at the end of the day, they shouldn't be divided along partisan lines. Now, there are breakdowns in judicial theory that tend to fall on partisan lines, but that doesn't mean that they should be saying, oh, I'm a Democratic judge, I'm a Republican judge. They should say, oh, I'm a constitutionalist, I'm a interpretist, blah, blah, blah. All these different theories that have come about through years upon years of training judges, all these different intellectual ways of interpreting the Constitution, of handling how we should look at jurisprudence, how we should look at stare decisis. And I think labeling them and having partisan judges is very dangerous. Now, at the end of the day, it's the reality of the situation. So we're going to have more progressive judges who are going to come down for Democrats if Joe Biden and the progressives really push hard on this issue. 
but I just don't like describing it that way because that's not how the judicial system should be in an ideal world. Of course, we're not in an ideal world. Everything has to do with politics nowadays. So, you know, maybe I'm just being idealistic and naive, but let's move on. But besides their faith in the White House, progressives did make some big wins or small wins, let's be accurate, on Tuesday night, such as Greg Cesar from Texas. There are other strong progressive candidates who showed political futures as well, such as, quote, Repco Kohana, another leader in the progressive space who's been floated as a future Senate or presidential contender for the left, told the Daily Beast he was surprised by Democrats' success on Tuesday, where politics broadly forecasted a wiping red wave. Democrat wins tamped a GOP momentum down to a pinkish trickle, end quote. And we're going to speak more about kind of, I'm going to say Kana, just to make sure, I'm pretty sure that's how you would pronounce it, Mr. Ro Kana. I, we're going to speak about him more in this next article as well, because he's one of those hopefuls, like they just mentioned, for a presidential run here in the future. And they actually brought him up in the second article, and I was surprised to see that. So Obviously, there's a little bit of momentum behind some of these more progressive candidates because if you look at the last two years, a lot of the policies that have been put in place, they are either meant to help everybody. They are either moderate or they have little sprinklings of progressivism. And it seems that the Democratic Party is taking this, quote-unquote, win, the bucking of the historical trends, so it's not just Biden who's taking it as a, a victory march, but it's the Democrats, too, because they're even floating even more progressive candidates for a presidential election. I mean, Mr. Rokano worked under Bernie Sanders in, I believe it was 2018, uh, sorry, the 2016 campaign. So they're slowly sprinkling the idea of some more progressive candidates out there and seeing how people feel about it and what they say. And they're trying to give them a little bit of rain name recognition ahead of time. And I'm not trying to imply that the big media companies are colluding with the Democrats, but these people do live in the same circles. They constantly interact with each other. So if the Democrats are floating his name internally, there may be some conversation about it in the media and you can kind of see some patterns. The same thing happens with Hannity and Trump. I mean, Hannity says something and you're like, oh, that's that's a little weird. That's a little out of left field. And then Trump a week later comes out and says, yeah, I was talking with Hannity about this. So remember that these people are friends and something that gets floated in the media isn't just them floating the idea. It's probably being talked about behind closed doors as well. That's otherwise they really wouldn't be talking about it. All right. So with all that ranting out of the way, let's go to another story that also involves Mr. Ro Khanna and a few other impatient, quote-unquote, Democrats that could be taking the seat in 2024. This one's from Politico. So you want to unseat Joe Biden, a guide for an impatient Democrat. Though the progressive wing has become ever more dependent on Joe Biden, as mentioned in the last article, the sharks are definitely circling, and there's a, a conversation on who will replace him. Quote, 51% of respondents said the Democratic Party is too extreme, one point less than the GOP. Majorities prefer Republicans to deal with inflation, crime, and immigration. 
And not only was President Joe Biden's job approval number a limp 44%, a whopping 67% of respondents didn't want him to run again. That includes nearly half of Democrats polled. So this is another reason the midterms are, are really important. And obviously, you're going to sit here, of course the midterms are important, Alex. But what I mean is, it allows you to go out and talk and get exit polls from active voters. Rather than just calling them at their house and then having a bias because a certain segment of the population isn't going to want to talk to pollsters at all. So therefore, the polls become skewed. In this case, you go to people that have already, you could even catch them as they're leaving their polling station and talk to active voters, not potential voters, active voters, people that are actually involved, have actually cast a ballot in the election. So you can get a little bit more accurate data this way, and it allows you to gain a glimpse at what the populace is thinking. And this poll that they just mentioned here shows that people don't want Joe Biden back as president. Then again, 67% of respondents don't want him to run again. And then they break it down, saying that includes nearly half of Democrats polled. So obviously they're also including Republicans in this, and they're, of course, not going to want Joe Biden in anyway. So that does skew the number upwards a little bit. But over 50% of Democrats, too, that that is a staggering number. And Joe Biden really needs to keep it in mind. I don't know if this idea that he has that, oh, we bucked historical trends. We actually won compared to what we should should have happened to us or what was predicted to happen to us. I don't know if he's going to take that into consideration, these numbers, and say, okay, no, I need to step down. I need to let the next generation come in. I need to let a new candidate who can run not only for 2024, but also 2028 and keep the Democrats in the White House for longer. I don't know if either his ego is small enough to allow that or if he's thinking that far ahead. And that's not a slight. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just the reality of the situation. You get into that office and you want to keep the office. You want the power. And I'm not trying to say that because he's old, he's not thinking long term. But he's probably saying, oh, no, I'm here. I, I want this, and I'm going to think about my next four years rather than the future of the Democratic Party when I'm gone. So, but that's just my rantings on the matter. People are not enthused by either of their future options, being Trump, who's probably going to announce today, Tuesday, the day that I'm recording this, or Biden. They're, you know, there's no fun or easy choice for most voters there. Quote, a chipper Biden said after the midterms that he intends to stand for re-election. Yet, many Democratic lawmakers also appear to the side with a skittish wing of the party's rank and file, according to Politico's Jonathan Martin, who reported that their, quote, dread about 2024 extends from the specter of nominating an octogenarian with dismal approval ratings to the equally delicate dilemma of whether to nominate a, his more unpopular vice president or pass over the first black woman in the job, end quote. And 
that's a that's an important thing because they put Kamala Harris on this ticket because of her diversity, because she is a woman. She is a woman of color. She speaks to a certain portion of the population, or at least that's their thought process. So are they going to pass up on the person they, they gave the credential to? They quite literally said, we are giving you the vice presidency. This could be used as a credential for a future presidential run. That's what Joe Biden did. He has been running for years upon years, and it's only after he was selected by Obama to bring in the moderates, the white voters, during his campaigns that he was able to kind of springboard himself into the next stage of being president. And also, don't forget that he was going up against a a crazy man, so that also helped a little bit. But they gave Kamala Harris these credentials, and they believe that she really speaks to a segment of the population, even more accurately, a large segment of their party that they think is important they want to keep. So are they really willing to pass up the person they gave those credentials to? It's a big question, and it is obviously something they have to grapple with. But remember, like they said, she is very unpopular. I mean, I've seen some of her speeches, and I, I wonder... Is it just pressure? Because when she was on that debate stage and when she was at some of those rallies, she wasn't perfect all the time, but there was a certain enthusiasm, a certain light behind her eyes. And then when she's in some of these interviews and at some of these events now, it feels sluggish. It feels like there's something going on. Maybe she's overwhelmed by the amount of people there. I honestly don't know. It just doesn't feel the same as when I was seeing her before in the primaries and the general. So, But that's just me. And since many people aren't really enthused by the idea of having Harris as president, other people have started to throw some names around and see what sticks. You have your progressives, Sanders and Kana, like I mentioned before. You have your new generation, the Cory Bookers and the Pete Buttigiegs. You have your outsiders, the people that are outside D.C., or at least perceived to be AOC and Newsom. And then, you know, they have a few conversations towards the end of this article about Southerners who are black in order to get to really lock in that vote. And they're talking about Warnock here if he wins his uh, campaign in Georgia. So I think I kind of want to go through each one and say why I think they're not necessarily a good idea or why I think they're a good idea. Sanders and Kana, they're too progressive. At the end of the day, when you come into a general election, you need to moderate. They will do well in the primaries. Bernie Sanders has done very well in primaries before, and Kana has worked for him. He's also younger, so he can appeal to the same Bernie voters while also trying to really lock in that younger youth vote. But like I said, when you come into a general election, you have to moderate a little bit. You can't be as progressive or as far to the left as you were during your primaries, and I think that will hurt them in a general election if they go that route. Booker and Buttigieg, I think Booker's middle of the road enough that he could get away with it. He's pretty sly talking, not saying it in a bad way, but he's he's a pretty good speaker, so I think they could probably get away with having him in there. You know, his track record isn't the best. He's done some small-time stuff, small senator gig, but, you know, at the end of the day, we've had worse candidates. Pete Buttigieg is a very interesting one. It speaks to the diversity and equity that certain members of the Democratic Party really like. He's gay. He campaigned and then leveraged that into a spot as the Department of Transport head, which like I kind of paused there. It's just amazing that he was able to 
find his way there. So that gives him an extra credential for the job. He understands the workings of the White House. He probably has been building connections while he's there. So I think that's an interesting option. And they're both part of this new generation. But that normally comes with the problem that the older voters, the older generation, the rhinos, so to speak, they just sit back and vote Democrat. They have their alliances. They have their loyal lists. They, you know, I don't think they're going to like this new generation. And the same problem for the new generation of those rhinos is the outsiders. AOC, she's not as much of an outsider, but she's also very progressive. So both of those things where she's trying to go against the establishment and she's very progressive, She's not going to have the support of the establishment in the primaries. And even if she gets through the primaries, she's not going to be able to moderate enough for the general. So I think she's out of the question. Newsom's an interesting case. I think that his name recognition is high enough right now. And this is also the conclusion I came to in my last podcast. I think that Newsom's name recognition is so high that he could really catapult himself into a good standing during the primaries, especially. He's pretty progressive, but he's, for California, he's a moderate. So, you know, take that as you will. I think he could leverage that in a general. I think he's pretty sly, good-looking, well-learned. So going up against a Trump, he would probably do well. Going up against a DeSantis, I don't necessarily know. I think both of them are pretty competent. And I say that because I think I say that in that fashion because I think DeSantis is a little bit more competent than Newsom. But I think that's a very interesting and possible. I think Newsom is probably an interesting call, especially with how much he's been spending on building up his name recognition across the country with his ads in different states. And then Warnock. Uh, no, I don't see it happening. I'm sorry. I don't think that Warnock is a good candidate at the end of the day. He just barely won his election last time. He may just barely win this time. He doesn't speak to a large enough segment of the population. He's almost as progressive as Stacey Abrams. I just, I don't really see it happening. I'm sorry. I have to close that one out. So the article basically ends by saying, quote, Biden, maybe? Are we back to Biden? End quote. And yeah, I think that's I think that's really what it's come down to. Biden, until they have a really young, up and coming, highly motivated, with good name recognition across the country, with good credentials, until they have someone like that, I think Biden's the only real option that they they have, and they're gonna have to lock in with him. But we'll see how it all pans out. We'll see if he gets primaried in twenty twenty four, which I don't think it's going to happen. If the president says he's going to run, very seldom does someone from his own party come in and try to primary him. But that's just my opinion on the matter. I know you're probably thinking, well, Alex, we didn't really get anywhere. You basically said, yeah, all these other people could, but Biden's still going to win. And it's more that I wanted to describe all these extra candidates they're throwing out there. So if you see them in the future, you at least have some idea of who they are, where they're coming from, what they speak to, and also... So you'll be informed if one of them does primary Joe Biden, and you'll be like, okay, yeah, I, I've heard about this guy before. I have some insight into his policy, what his weaknesses are, what his, some of his background is. So just keep all of that in mind. We're two years away from that. I mean, I guess primaries would technically be about a year away. So just keep your eye up. Our last article comes from The Daily Caller. Republicans made massive gains with Muslims in the midterms. Here's why. 
So for years, the coalition that uh, President Obama built in 2008 was meant to carry Democrats to victory for years into the future. But Republicans have begun to slowly, slowly chip away at that coalition that they've built up. Quote, the Republican Party continued to gain more support from Muslim Americans in 2022 midterm elections as members of the community have rallied around parental rights in removing sexually explicit content from schools in the 2022 midterm election. Muslims shifted towards the right by 28% of Muslim voters voting Republican and an 11% increase from the previous 2018 midterms, according to the Wall Street Journal exit polling. Parts of the Muslim community saw their values, such as parental rights and education, and social conservatism align more with the GOP platform activists and community members and politicians told the Daily Caller News Foundation, end quote. And this really does seem to follow, considering the modern right is held together by the core belief that the family is important and faith is even more important to the American experiment and the survival of America as a country. And, you know, obviously both of these key tenants, key features of the Republican platform really do speak to a portion of the Muslim population in America. Quote, in October, a Dearborn school board meeting was postponed after many members of the Muslim community showed up to the meeting protesting the presence of sexually explicit content in school libraries. The protest over the books began because the Muslim community believes, quote, sexually explicit material is immoral, end quote. And they wanted to say in what was made available in schools. Sorry, to rephrase that. They wanted a say in what is available in schools. Members of the community told the DCNF, Chami told the DCNF that policies and practices being pushed by Democrats that take away parental rights and education repel the Muslim community, end quote. And like I talked about, the modern right is really pushing hard on this. You have both Yunkin and DeSantis who won their elections, and they both focused heavily on parental rights as an issue. And it's one that is an issue that is very hard to have a middle ground on. Either you want parents to have some sort of voice, some sort of vote as to the process or what their kids are being taught, or you don't. There's not much of a middle ground there. So that's why this can be a very decisive issue for Republicans. And they can be one that they really leverage to turning parents into a voting block. And, you know, I, I say that very carefully because that's what Obama thought he did. He thought or his party thought that this new coalition, he had created a minority voting block with some of the policies. And it was temporary. It worked for a little bit. But over time, they've been chipping away at it. So Republicans, when they leverage this to get parents on their side, they need to keep speaking to parents. And also, I think with this new influx of Muslim voters, they need to not just say, oh, well, we've been working hard on these parental right issues, so we're going to keep these Muslim voters because, oh, they're just more aligned with us. No. You take a step back and you say, okay, we have these voters as a part of our base now. How do we best appeal to them? 
Don't presume like the Democrats did. Don't assume that you're just going to have them forever now. It's going to be locked in. There's no changing their mind. You actually have to speak to your voters still, and that's a big mistake the Democrats made. They just assume that a lot of minority voters are going to vote for them, and they don't go out to these areas as much as they should. They don't peddle. I say peddle. They don't talk about the issues that really matter to them, so they start losing them over time. So, you know, it's definitely a a point that Republicans have found that works with their existing platform and can be leveraged into getting new voters like these Muslim voters that they got in Michigan. Quote, protecting family values and protecting the rights of parents and the respect of parents is huge in our eyes, Chami told the DCNF. On the left, a lot of politics are pushed to take parents' rights away. You can see that in public schools, in hospitals, and the medical field. It's just gotta, gonna get worse, end quote. And that, that is very true. At the end of the day, a lot of the push from the Democrats is you're your own individual. You define yourself. You understand what you want, what you don't want. And nobody else can tell you. Not even your parents can tell you how you identify, how you perceive the world, so on and so forth. And this has been, the thing The thing is, if it was just in education or if it was just in medicine, I would say maybe they're pushing some sort of specific agenda piece in one of those areas. But it actually is a worldview. It's, a, it's an overall worldview because it's being pushed in many different aspects, which is you define yourself. Only you can define yourself. There is not an objective truth about you. It's that you create your truth. And that can be a very dangerous idea. And a lot of parents don't love that because at the end of the day, it may end up alienating them from their kid because their kid believes that what their parents have to say about certain things aren't important, that they're not going to listen to their parents because they believe that their identity, the way they think about the world, the way they perceive things is more important and more valuable. And that is a degrading of family values. And a lot of people are looking at that and saying they don't enjoy that. All right, so we, you know, we talked about some positive stuff, some negative stuff, but we're going to go to a story that's really going to make you positive and leave you ready to take on the day. The Daily Delight this time comes from NDTV. Rhino's reaction after seeing Keeper is winning hearts. So imagine you come home to your dog and they're starting to jump around, they're wagging their tail, and now imagine your dog is around 3,000 pounds. Quote, a wholesome video showing the beautiful bond between a rhino and its keeper is going viral on social media, and many users are in awe of the same. The now viral video was shared on Twitter by a page who goes by the name BS on November 11th, end quote. And this keeper must give some really good snacks or some really good belly rubs or something because this rhino really gets super excited and does so very quickly. Quote, in the video, one can notice a rhino standing inside a fenced enclosure. In some seconds, a keeper comes near the enclosure and the animal gets happy seeing her. The happiness can be witnessed as the rhino starts jumping from left to right, looking at the caretaker. This moment is too cute to be missed. End quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or read any of today's articles, they will be linked in the description below that like and subscribe button. Down there is also my Twitter handle, at your daily flip. If you want to go there, I put out something almost every day, commentary, news story, and normally I also post a link to the podcast when they go live or throughout the day at some point on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. All right. 
with that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.